Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Let me encourage you to continue your conversations after the formal part of our gathering is wrapped up. We're going to turn to the scriptures. We're going to turn to God's word now. As we do most weeks here, we read uh, from the scriptures publicly and then um, they are taught to us. Uh, today, Phil will be coming forward to bring us the message. But before we hear from Phil and as we continue and wrap up our series, We Are the Church, we've got two Bible readings, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Exodus. And we're taking that from chapter 24 verses 3 to 8. You can open that up on the Bibles around you, uh, in the seats, or you can grab your device and find that. I'm reading from the ESV, or affectionately known as the Eastern Suburbs version, no, um, the e, or the Enlightened version. Anyway, the ESV, and we're reading Exodus chapter 24, beginning at verse 3, 3 to 8. Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Turning to the New Testament and to First Peter. And I'll be reading this morning First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Again, you can turn forward a fair way through your scriptures uh, to find First Peter. First Peter, chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which Angels long to look. Thanks, Phil. Let's continue from that same passage. Let's hear God speak. Next slide. Therefore, because of everything that Jacko just said, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call him on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit, and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, 
Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race. You are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. His word is so good. Jacko, I love the way you read that. I think he read it the way Peter thought it. I hope that's how I read it. Because it's so encouraging, so, such a blessing to just hear God's word. And sometimes you don't need someone like me to come up and tell you much more than that. Sometimes that's enough. And I thought this morning that passage was so great. We're going to read the whole chapter and even into the next chapter. Um, And if you could put up with it, I would just keep on reading and eventually finish it. Revelation. Um, Anyway, my my heart warms every time I I read that passage and there are lots of passages like that. Um, and I read it. One thing I, I like doing when I'm, when I'm preparing for this, unlike a couple of weeks ago when Jacko gave me 10 minutes notice to preach, um, I like reading the passage and reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it and, and just soaking myself in it. Because so, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess up what God says. So I make sure that I kind of got a, a reasonable grip on it. And it just warms my heart every time I do. Um, so I pray it does the same and more for you all this morning and again for me. I want my heart to be warmed as I preach. So a couple of weeks ago, Jacko introduced the three-week series, We Are the Church. Um, We looked at the church as a community, and then we looked at the church as being God's people on mission to the world. world. Um, Jacko said in week three that when I got up and spoke, I'd say everything he forgot to say. Um, So I don't think that's going to happen because there's a lot that you didn't say, Jacko. <laughs> but there are just a few things that I think, if our hearts are open and if our minds are wanting to hear from God, we'll hear him speak. Um, and I think there's going to be some great things we're going we're to hear this morning from his, from his words. So I'm just going to focus on three things that I believe he wants us to know, and he wants us to experience, and he wants to plant deep down in our souls. We are the church. The first one is we're a distinct, unique people. We, the church, are a people called to holiness and we're a people called to love as a church. That's what we're called to do as church. So we're here as his church, his body, his people. Um, So let's approach our king and our father and ask him to speak to us and open our hearts Um, in our minds to hear him speak. So let's pray. Our Father, you promised to be with us by your Spirit. 
Lord Jesus, you said that you would always be present. You would never leave us or forsake us. And Holy Spirit, you dwell within us and you have proclaimed the truth of the gospel to us. We've heard you speak through your words and you've placed those words into our hearts and minds. So Lord, Father, Son and Spirit, we stand in your presence now with great expectation, with our hearts opened and our minds ready to hear you speak and we're ready to respond and become what you desire us to be. We ask because we can, because Jesus opened the way into your presence by his blood. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, to open up the, the series, uh, Jacko introduced us to a Greek word. Um, I kind of like the Greek stuff as well sometimes. Sometimes it's just, what? does your head in a bit. But sometimes it's just, wow. Um, this actually is, is great stuff. It's a word in English we tra- translate as church. The word is ekklesia. Um, I had a look to see how you pronounce it. Everyone pronounces it differently. So I'm going to say ecclesia, and if I change the way I pronounce it, just put up with me. Um, in its most basic use, that word ecclesia, it's the, way, the way, word we translate into church. So when you see in your Bible the word church, it's usually ecclesia. It simply means assembly or gathering. It can be any assembly, any gathering of people. So we, the church, are an assembly of believers, the gathering together of God's people. But there's a bit more to the word as you look into it and as you look into how the scripture uses that word. Um, There's a bit more to it. So we're going to jump in just a little bit deeper into the the meaning of ecclesia. Um, When the scripture talks about the ecclesia of God, it isn't really just talking about a group of people who've decided to, to get together on a Sunday morning because we all like the same music and we all like the same coffee or because, even because we worship the same God. Um, Ecclesia, Ecclesia, Ecclesia contains the idea of us um, not just gathering or assembling but being summoned together by God. Being called together by God. And being called or summoned together to him, summoned into his presence. So it's not just us coming deciding that this is what we're going to do. We're actually called into his presence. We're summoned. It's a combination of two Greek words, ek and kaleo. Ek means out from and to. So it's not just out from, it's actually out from and towards something else. Ek. And kaleo which means to call or to summon. So when God uses the word ecclesia in his word, it's meant to remind us that we've been chosen, we've been selected, we've been called and summoned out of the rest of the world to be in his presence. So think of getting a letter from the king telling you, Vow, I summon you to come. Jacko, I summon you to come. Jeremy, I summon you to come. We pray that young Oliver will hear the words where he's summoned to come. So it's meant to remind us that we've been chosen, that we've been selected. 
Not that we've chosen to just come along because we want to be with a bunch of other people that think the same as we do, but he's actually called us together. There are other words he could have used if he just wanted to say a group of people, but he uses ecclesia over and over again because we are the called out ones, the ones who have been summoned by God. And I don't think we're used to thinking that way, are we? In fact, before I prepared this, I don't think I really thought that way. If you're like me, you likely get up each Sunday morning and go to this place called church. You know, we do come here knowing that the Lord's here, so our motives aren't all terrible. Um, we, we come here knowing that the Lord's here, and we come knowing his people are here, and we come to serve him and be with other believers, and we even come knowing that it's a good thing to do, and we come knowing that we'll, hopefully we'll learn and we'll grow and we'll be blessed. So we come with good stuff, good reasons for coming. But it's so much more than that. We gather because we've been called out of the rest of the world and called in to his presence. We gather because he summoned us and we've responded to the call. And what an amazing thing. Each and every one of us, if we believers, has been summoned to come together into the presence of the king. So we're not just, it's not just Phil Brown standing up here. We're actually all, me included, are in the presence of the king. It's the next slide. God's word, and we've, we've heard these words read to us already. It says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people. I had 20 odd years of my life. I wasn't part of the ecclesia. I hadn't heard him speak. I was joining my own little groups and my own little clubs and my own little tribes. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And brothers and sisters, it's an, it's an incredible thing that's happened to each and every one of us that love and trust the Saviour. And I hope it grips your heart when you think about the fact that we've been called out of darkness and out of death and called into his kingdom of light. We've been gathered together, and together we've become his people, his people, his people. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people chosen to be his special possession. There's a passage in the Old Testament where God calls Israel his special treasure. Now, guys, I know that you would have looked at your little Ollie at different times and said, what a treasure. He said, but he's your special treasure. And you look at him with love in your hearts. And all the, parent, all the people that have been parents that have, that have held their little children, their, their, their new babies, and they've looked at them, and it's just this warmth that pours out of you into your children, towards your children. Um, that's the image that God gives us of him looking towards us. We're his special possession, special treasure. 
Incredible. We were lost and without hope, yet he chose to pour out his mercy upon us. And we get the privilege of knowing him and being loved and cared for by him. We get to experience the wonder of being rescued from our sin and brought into a kingdom that will never, ever, 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 ever fade away. We get to experience the wonder of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Just stop for a minute and consider that God himself has come and taken up residence in our very being. And together, the ecclesia, we get the awesome privilege of proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us and saved us. And that's the thing that thrills my heart about being able to stand here. I get to proclaim the amazingness of who he is and what he's done. So there are clubs and there are societies and there are associations and there are fraternities and there are tribes. But what we have is unique. There is only one group of people that are the church. We gather in different places and different times all around the world, but we are one ecclesia. So we've got visitors here this morning. It's great having you here. Um, I think you guys are believers. Um, your prayer sure demonstrates that you are. Um, and it was lovely having you all up the front. But I haven't seen you before. You too. And, but you're part of the ecclesia. You're part of that gathered together group of people. And if you're visiting here this morning and, you've, and you are a believer but you've never been here before, you're, you're part of the ecclesia. You're part of that called out summoned group of people and it's a wonderful thing we here are the ecclesia that meets in Archer Street North Adelaide so we're called out to be his people but we're also called to be his holy people we understand that when we're saved we hear the good news of what God has done in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection. At some stage in our lives, to be saved, you need to hear that. You need to, need to know that, that you have sin and that you're separated from God. And to be saved, you need to know that, you, that your sin and your rebellion has separated you from your God. And you need to know that you need a saviour. That's what you need to be saved, is to, is, to, is to know that you need to be saved. So when we realise that our sin and rebellion has separated us from God and we turn to him in repentance of our sin and put our faith and trust in him and what he's done to rescue us, we're saved. It really is that simple. We recognise our sin. We recognise we need a saviour. We turn from that and we turn to him. And we call out to him to rescue us. So if we've been saved, we're people that have recognised that we, that we are sinners and it's our sin that caused the problem in the first place. I once heard someone say, and it might have been me, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Does anyone actually know who said that? 
It's Spurgeon, wasn't it? It was you that said it. Maybe. Anyway, it's a great saying. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. So, once we're saved and washed clean from our sin and released from the penalty of our sin, we're born again, we're born afresh. And we're new creatures born again. So we live as new creatures, born with new life, born with new hope, born with new purpose, and born with a whole new nature. Do you think of yourself like that? When you got up out of bed this morning and grabbed your coffee and your toast, did you think of yourself as being a brand new creature in Jesus? I didn't. And I'm preaching about it, and I didn't. But it's natural. If you're a new baby, it's natural to live a life as a new baby. It's natural to want the milk. It's natural to, to want love. It's natural to want to be cuddled. It's natural to want to live as a baby. It's not, it sounds a bit weird to say it, but if you're a baby, it's natural to act like a baby. When we're born again, it's actually part of our nature to act as a born-again person. It's in our nature to act as a new creature. Before we were rescued and saved, the natural thing was for, was for us to live in our sin. Now, I've, I can still remember the days before I came to know the Lord. didn't think about God and was quite happy to go along in my sin. And in fact, most of the stuff that I did that was sin, I didn't even know it was sin. Or if I did know, I didn't care. Didn't even enter into my, my thinking that I was sinning. I was just doing the stuff that I did because my natural instinct before I came to know the Lord was to just live as a sinner. Rejoicing in my sinfulness. Enjoying it. But being born again, it became weird to live like that. It became unnatural to live like that. And I started thinking, how could I have lived like that? What was wrong with me? Why would I live like that? Why would I do those things? It was natural for me to do those things. It was natural for me to live like that. But now it's natural for me to live in holiness and in the Lord. The natural thing for us is to live as people who have turned our back on sin and turned our face toward our God. That's how the Bible talks about it. It's the natural thing for us to not live in sin. We're called to holiness. So next slide. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The Bible talks about us as being obedient children. It doesn't talk to us about being disobedient children. It assumes that we are obedient children. It's quite amazing. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So it's kind of interesting, this, this idea of we actually are, our nature is to be obedient children. Um, now I've got five kids. Um, are any of them in the room? Sarah, no, I think they're all out there, so we're safe. Um, it's pretty safe to say. Naturally, I'm not sure. Obedient children is the right word I would want to use. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes they are, and I, you know, I rule with a bit of an iron fist at home, so there's a fair bit of obedience that happens, not necessarily through love and graciousness, but um, for the other things that could happen if they're not. Um, but God actually calls us obedient children because that's our nature. So the expectation that God has is that we are. That's what we are. This is your nature. You're obedient children. But it also acknowledges that sometimes you're not. Sometimes we're not, and often we're not. Um, so it has to tell us, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, it says former ignorance. So that bit about where I said before I came to the Lord, that was, that was ignorance. Um, so don't live according to that. Don't live according to the way you were before. Be conformed to the way you are now. I hope that makes sense. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's the new nature. The new nature of a believer is a holy person, set apart for God. The assumption is that we are obedient children. It's no longer a nature of rebellion, but one of obedience. Now, when we first heard the call to be saved, now that might have been when you were a little kid or it might have been as an adult, it doesn't matter. When we heard his call, we obeyed him. We turned from our sin and we turned to him. So that our first thing in entering into the kingdom of God was an act of obedience. Turn from our sin, turn to him. So by nature, now we want to continue in our obedience. We want to please the one who set us free. We want to please our saviour who gave himself for us. We want to please our father who's called us and adopted us into his family. So next slide. And if you call on him as father, now, we all did that this morning. I don't know if you noticed, but we all read Our Father. So we've all done that. So if you joined us in that, if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Time of your exile? What, the, what does that mean? Well, we've been called into a kingdom. We've actually been exiled out of our old kingdom, our old world, and we're in this new life. We're, in a, we're actually in exile away from um, the world, um, waiting for our home to deliver us into our new home. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, I did, what, I did what my dad did, and he did what his dad did, and he did what his dad did, and so on, and so on, and so on. We, we all inherit all this stuff. 
Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And you were ransomed not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. So we live our lives the way he wants to live our lives, to please him. That's what being holy is, living as God wants us to live. I think it really is that simple. Copying our Father. He is holy, so we want to be like him. And we fear displeasing him. We don't, need to, we don't need to fear that we'll ever be rejected by him. But I think we, do, we should fear the consequences of our sin. Sin can't separate us permanently from God. He's promised us that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We know that passage. Nothing. But we're still disciplined sometimes for our sin. And I think we've probably all experienced that at one time or another. So what does it look like to live in holiness? What does this thing look like? Um, Well, we're called to live in holiness, but we're also called to live in love. Remember that was the third point of the message? Holiness and love. I think those two things, holiness and love, I think those things in the scriptures kind of merge together as one thing. They kind of merge in. So next slide. I think what holiness looks like is captured in the two great commandments. So you've got all the commandments in the Old Testament and a lot of them are brought into the New Testament. All of them are wrapped up in two commandments. If you want to, have a, if you want to know what, what God requires of us, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind. We're called to love. So the holiness, the keeping of God's law, the first part of it, is love of God with everything that we are. Does that make sense? Love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all of our mind. Our lives fully devoted to him in all aspects of our lives. Loving him with everything we have. And if we truly love him, we want to please him. We want to live the way he wants us to live. If you love someone, you want to please them. We want to find out what pleases him. Because it's it's not something that we all know. We don't always know how to please God. But if you love someone, you find out what pleases them. If you love your partner, you find out what makes them happy. We want to live the way he wants us to live. We want to find out what pleases him and strive to do what pleases him. And we know he wants us to keep our backs to sin and our faces towards him. And the second great commandment, 
Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, I think I've confessed this to you in a previous sermon. Um, I'm going to confess it again. Um, It says to love your neighbour as yourself. Well, I love me more than anybody. Um, And no one loves me like me. Um, You know the story of the Good Samaritan? Nod your heads if you know the story of the Good Samaritan. This poor bloke was beaten and left naked by the side of the road. Beaten and bleeding and almost dying. If I was that poor bloke dying by the side of the road and I could choose anyone on the planet alive today to come along and take care of me, who would I choose? It's easy. I choose me. Not the beaten up, close to death, naked on the side of the road me, but a healthier version of me. Because um, I know for sure that I would do anything to take care of me. Um, I'd definitely clothe me. I'd definitely bandage up my wounds. I'd get myself to hospital and I'd pay for everything that was needed. I'd max out, the, max out the credit card, I'd take out a second mortgage, I'd sell the house, I'd do everything to look after me. Because no one loves me like me. Now I would hope that if I was on the side of the road like that, that you would also do that. Um, but I'm not sure that i trust any of you that you would. <laughs> I'd want me to be there. Because <laughs> no one loves me like me. Well imagine if I loved everyone with that same gusto that I have for loving myself and taking care of myself. Imagine if I loved everyone in that same way. Imagine if I really loved my neighbour as myself. Well, it's kind of hard to imagine us being like that, isn't it? Um, But we can actually see a real-life example, not in me, um, but in Jesus, obviously. He loved me. He was the guy that came along the road and rescued the poor guy that was dying. He loved me, he loved you, and he gave everything for you and for me. And you know what? I was in a worse condition than that poor bloke in the Good Samaritan story. I hadn't physically been beaten up. Actually, my life was going pretty good, I thought. But... I'd been beaten up by my sin and I'd been deceived by my sin and I'd been deceived by the world. I'd been, I'd been deceived by the evil one and I was blind and dead in my sin and I was lost and I was without hope. On the side of the road, alone and dying, without hope. And he saw me and he stooped down and he raced towards the danger and threw himself under a bus threw himself onto a cross to save me. If we want to know what holiness is, we can look at the two commandments to love God and love our neighbour and we we can look at the Saviour who showed us and gave us a real life human example. That's what holiness is. He loved God with all his heart and he loved his neighbour, that's us, as himself. So now what? Well, he rescued me and he gave me a new heart 
a clean heart, inclined towards others. He gave us a heart regenerated by his own life. Verse 22, next slide. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. At some point, we threw ourselves on his grace. He gave us grace to obey the gospel message to repent and believe, and our souls have been purified. Sitting here this morning, do you feel like you've got a nice, pure soul? You have. He's purified us. And with pure hearts, we can truly love God and love each other. With sincere hearts, not faking it, not pretending, but sincerely, truly loving God and loving each other. And something I've noticed in this fellowship, in this ecclesia, um, that's something that I see a lot that there actually is a lot of real genuine love that comes through this place. It's just fantastic. People are always displaying love for each other in this place. It's a wonderful thing and it's coming, I know, from a pure heart. Now I know you're sitting here saying, I think, I hope you are, I want that. We want that, don't we? As believers, I think one of the things that annoys us, or maybe it's just me, but annoys me, is I don't live the way it says. But there's something in me that says I want to do that. And when I, when I don't want to, I want to want to. Something deep in me wants to be what God wants me to be. And if you're born again, I think that's in you as well. Lots of people are nodding their heads. Um, we want to live in holiness. We really do want to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And we really do want to love our neighbour as ourself. We do. Deep in us, we want to be that. What can we do? Well, I know one thing for sure. You can't will yourself into holiness. You can't will yourself into loving God and loving your neighbour. I can't say, Phil, I'm going to love you. I can say it, but I can't, I can't kind of make myself. So what can you do? Well, I think, and we're almost, we're almost finished, I think we move towards holiness and love in the same way that we're saved in the first place. I think that's the solution. The way we're saved in the first place is acknowledging the problem, stepping away from it, and stepping towards God. That's how we're saved. Repentance, recognising our sin, and turning to the Saviour and trusting him, knowing that he wants to save us and he wants our holiness. We know he wants our holiness because he said it up there. 
So he wants us to be holy, yeah? He wants that. That's his desire. He wants us to love our neighbour. So I think what we've got to do is acknowledge that we don't and look to him, knowing that he wants our holiness more than we do. Um, last week, I, I wasn't here. Um, I took John, my nine-year-old, uh, to Ballarat for the weekend. We had a bloke's, bloke's weekend. Great fun. Love Ballarat. He was so excited. I was so excited. I love road trips with my kids. Um, he was so excited for weeks. Um, we'd, we'd planned this about eight or nine weeks earlier, and I didn't really know exactly when we were going to go. I reckon every day, maybe twice a day, he'd say, Dad, when are we going to Ballarat? Um, for weeks, he asked about it, he talked about it, and talked about it, and he talked about it, and he talked about it. He just couldn't wait to go on this road trip. And the more he thought about it, the more excited he got about it. And it was really lovely to watch. And I'm kind of glad that I, kind of, I put it out there weeks before because the build-up just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as we got closer to it. And it was just fantastic. Um, I didn't have to tell him to be excited. The more he thought about it, the more we talked about it, the more excited he became. And the anticipation grew and grew. And it did for me as well. I was really, really, by the time we got going, I was really looking forward to this thing. Um, the day before we left, he went and packed his bag. Uh, before he went, he went to bed, he got himself dressed in the clothes he was going to wear the next day, um, ready to leave at 5.30 in the morning. Um, now, has anyone here had um, a kid get up at 5.30 in the morning? Now, often they do it because, you know, I don't know if they're just doing it to be annoying or what it is, but they, they seem to get up early to, for whatever. He got up at 5.30 the next morning. He got up before I did. Um, he was ready to go. He bounced out of bed. Now, he's the kid that kind of gets up at 6.30, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. He got up at 5.30 the next morning. He was prepared for action. He just wanted to get going. It was, the anticipation was there. Yesterday, we're off. We're going to finish on this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got some, we've got a big trip to Ballarat coming up. We've got a big trip to eternal glory coming up ahead of us. And it's happening now. We've been changed and be, being made more like Jesus now. But there's something that's going to be amazing later on as well. We've got this big road trip coming up. Preparing your minds for action. It's really funny when you look at this word, and I think the King James Version picks up the actual literal translation of it. It says, having girded up the loins of your mind. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really think of my loins as being up here, but that's the kind of the image that it has there. It's a weird phrase. But the idea is to get yourself ready. Imagine having one of those long flowing robes that they used to wear that you see in the movies, the Bible time movies. Um, one of those long robes. Imagine yourself, you're wearing one of these long robes and all of a sudden you have to get yourself ready for action. So what you do, you've got to get moving. If you've got one of these long flowing robes, I'm guessing they're hard to, to, to run in. Um, a woman in a wedding dress, a nice long flowing white wedding dress, they don't move real fast. Um, have you ever seen the movie uh, Runaway Bride? Has anyone seen that? No one's seen Runaway Bride. 
Wow, I didn't think I was that pathetic. <laughs> in this movie, there's, this, there's a bride, so she's all dressed up in a big gown and stuff and a big flying thing. And the title of the movie kind of gives it away. Each time she goes to get married, she runs away. So she gets to the altar and she just has this panic attack and she runs away. But one of the things she does is she hoiks up her skirt, hoiks up her dress so she can run. And she runs. That's kind of the image. The idea is you, you hoik yourself up. You, if, you, if you've got a long dress on, you hoik it up. If your pants are a bit baggy, well, you put a belt on. You, 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 if, you, if your jeans are a bit too long, you, you just hoik yourself up and you get moving. You get ready to run. You hook up your robes, you get your running shoes on, you grab your backpack and you get ready to run. And you don't let anything get in the way. That's the idea of this passage. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we prepare ourselves, we hoik up whatever we need to hoik up and we tie down whatever we need to tie down and we put a belt around whatever we need to put a belt around. We get ourselves ready, we're prepared and we set our hope fully on the grace that, we brought, that will be brought to us. We don't let anything get in the way. That's kind of the idea. Make sure there's nothing's going to stop us. We've got the right shoes on. We've got the right belt on. We've got everything ready. We're ready to go. Set your mind fully on the grace. And we think on the grace that we have now. We think on the, on the grace that we've been saved. We've been called, we've been rescued from darkness and we're rescued into his kingdom and one day it's all going to come together. One day we're going to get up at 5.30 in the morning and we're going to hop in the car and we're going to make our way there. Better than that, one day we don't have to worry about getting up, he's going to come down and he's going to call us together. I think the more we think on that, the more we think about what God has done for us, the more we read his word, the more we consider him, the more we ponder him, the more we talk to each other about the excellence of his glory, the more our hearts are stirred and the more we want to love our God. And when we we love our God, when we're in his presence, we want to love each other more. It's going to sound a bit weird, but my heart's actually quite overflowing at the moment for you guys and for him because I'm thinking about him and... I kind of feel like I've hooked everything up. I've spent hours on this, getting myself ready to, to proclaim. and it's a, it's a great thing. And I think that's the solution to all of this, to spend time, get ourselves ready, get everything else out of the way and concentrate and think about him and think about him and read his word and spend time with other believers and listen to worship and worship ourselves and be with other believers. And as we do all that stuff, holiness and love works itself out. If I'm in God's presence and I'm in the presence of God's people, I don't sin very much. It's very hard to sin in God's presence. We don't want to. It's very hard to sin while we're sitting in church with other believers. We don't want to. I think that's the secret to living a life of holiness and love. And as church, what we get to do, we get the privilege of helping each other in that. So if you see me not living in holiness and love, your job is to encourage me, not to scold me, not to point out my sin, but to encourage me and build me up and keep pointing me towards Jesus. And that's my job for you and that's our job for each other. As a church, as the ecclesia of God, we're called out of the world, called to be together, called to love our God, called to love each other and live in holiness. Amen. Now, in a second, we're going to...
um, take up the Lord's Supper together. We're going to share that. One thing I kind of didn't realise until I got to the end of preparation for all this, the last passage that we read was the, the bit about prepare yourselves. Can we just have that, sorry, can we just have that last passage back up again, that last slide? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're about to do that. That's part of what the Lord's Supper is about. The Lord's Supper is the Lord, um, on the night he was betrayed, the night that our sin was the greatest towards God. Um, He took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And he took a cup of wine and he, he drank some of it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, drink. This is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul, can you get that, the um, Lord's Supper slide up? says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the part of us setting our heart fully on the grace that's going to be revealed. One day, the Lord's Supper is going to be fulfilled in him. He's going to come and we're going to actually physically have the Lord's table with him. It's going to be amazing. Until then... We do this together as the ecclesia of God. We've been called together. Let's share the bread. Let's share the wine. And let's look forward to the day he comes back. He's already released us from our sin. Let's look forward to the day he comes back and rescues us from everything else. Let's pray. Our Father, we are just so grateful for the joy that you give us in knowing you. Lord, we're so grateful that you took us dead, blind, sinful people and you rescued us. And you pushed everything out of the way and you ran towards the cross to save us. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful that you did that. Father, we're so grateful that you sent your son to do that. And Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you have lifted our hearts and opened our eyes and taking the scales off our eyes to be able to see what you've done for us. Lord God, we're just so grateful for for all that you've done. Lord, make us the people that you have called us to be. Lord, you've called us to be the ecclesia, you've called us to be the called out people together. We've been summoned into your presence. So Lord, I pray this morning that we'll hear your voice summoning us again into your presence as we come to the table. Lord, cleanse our hearts. Lord, if, there, if we have sin that we're holding on to, Lord, break through that. Show us your glory and overshadow our sin by your glory. Lord, if our hearts are full, make them more full. Lord, if we're rejoicing in our salvation, make us bubble over even more. Lord, if we're struggling to love you, remind us of how much you love us. Lord, if we're struggling to love our neighbour, show us how much you loved our neighbour and what you did for them. 
And Lord, fill our hearts with love and grace. Lord, as we come to the table, um, even as we're walking down the aisle to take the bread and the wine, change our hearts, Lord. Pray all of this through Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.